All right, I just got this new bass, so I'm gonna lay down some beats for some Medicine Remix. Mm, drop! What's up, Medicine Remix crew? I just wanted to call in and just say, hey, what's up? You know, I, I need my medicine. I need my meds. My meds remixed, that is. <laughs> you guys killed that episode. Super sick. I cannot wait to share it with friggin' everybody. I, I don't even care. I'll share If I had a dog, I'd share it with my dog. Drop it like it's hot. So glad I get to listen to you guys in the morning. Just listening to it on my way into work this morning. And I'll tell you, that is the inspiration I needed to get through the day today. Since I've been listening to Medicine Remix, I have found nothing to disagree with. My question is, am I going to have to become a doctor to join this wonderful community? of humans and how well would a contrarian fare in such a community so you're forcing me to do something you're forcing me to find ways to appreciate the fabulousness that is medicine remix and one of the things that i really look forward to doing is to getting back with uh, the awesome content on medicine remix and listening to that and clapping it and sharing it and liking it etc etc <laughs> Press that star under the applause button to favorite the station and hear the satisfying sound of showing us love. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix only on Anchor. You know, I, I think these things are toxic. I don't, especially for kids. It's just this thing. It's bad, and right. they they don't look at people when they talk to them, and they don't build Cell empathy. Phone. Oh, what am I supposed to do without my cell phone? The thing is, I you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones yes. are taking away. Yes, is the ability to just sit there like this. That's being a person, right? Yes. No one can. They gotta. Uh, you gotta check because you know underneath everything in your life there's that thing that empty forever empty you know what i'm talking about <laughs> that yes 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 i yes yes Just i know that, what you're talking about knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone you know it's down there that's right i'm alone and sometimes when things clear away you're not watching it you're in your car and you start going oh no here it comes that I am alone, like it starts to visit on you. You know, just the sadness. Yes. Life is tremendously sad just by, you know, being in it. And so you're driving and then you go, uh, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of people driving are texting. Yes. And they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars. Yes. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second. Getting sad. I gotta get the phone and write hi to like 50 people. And then, you know, somebody cool writes back, and then somebody not as cool writes after, and I'm like, oh, f you, I'm not gonna. I got somebody, somebody better. Anyway, I started to get that sad feeling, and I was reaching for the phone, and then I said, you know what? Don't. Just be sad. Just let the sadness stand in the way of it, and let it hit you like a truck. And I just started to feel, oh my god. And I pulled over and I just cried like a bitch. I cried so much. And, I, and it was beautiful. It was like this beautiful, it's just this sadness is poetic. You're, you're lucky to live sad moments. And then I had half.
happy feelings because because when you let yourself feel sad, yes. your body has like antibodies. It has happiness that comes rushing in, rushing in to meet the sadness. So you're, I was grateful to feel sad, and then I met it with true, profound happiness. It was such a trip, you know. And the thing is, because we don't want that first bit of sad, yeah. we push it away with like a little phone or for the food, and you get. You get a little kind of... You never feel completely sad or completely happy. You right. just feel kind of satisfied with your product. Yes. And then you die. So that's why I don't want to get a phone from my kids. Hey guys, I have a serious question. How concerned should I be when I go to the emergency room that my doctor is going to be falling asleep while he's operating on me? I've always wondered this. Thanks. What up, Anchorites? It's your boy, Sleepy Reach from Injury Duty. You're listening to Medicine Remixed right here on Anchor. So, Anchor's very own Maya submitted a great question to the station asking if... When we're in the emergency room and needed surgery, how worried he or she should be about how much sleep their surgeon received. So I too have wondered this on occasion. Um, intuitively, you would think that someone who's sleep deprived is a worse performer in anything. And therefore, it sounds ridiculously stupid to make surgeons work such crazy long hours and potentially put patients' life at risk. But anecdotally, I'll tell you from my experience that as soon as that scalpel cuts through another human being's skin, a surgeon's sympathetic nervous system, so that's the part of the nervous system circuitry that's responsible for the infamous fight or flight response, that shit is essentially in effect. It's probably the reason why I've done surgical cases that were six hours, 10 hours, even 12 hours long without food, water, or even taking a piss. Like the sympathetic response diverts all the blood flow to the important shit and restricts blood flow to the unimportant shit. So it, it dilates your pupils so you can see better, it revs up your heart rate and blood pressure so you're ready to go. And it, it opens the tube system in your lungs so you can breathe better. And it does so by increasing the production of hormones like adrenaline that are circulating around the bloodstream. It sends blood directly to your muscles while restricting blood to your digestive system since eating is the last thing you need to be doing in an emergency and it even prevents guys from having a boner because ain't nobody got time for that shit when somebody's life is literally in your hands so physiologically in the operating room i can attest that surgeons in general are usually hyper focused and engaged regardless of how much sleep they've gotten it's it's probably the reason why i've always referred to the operating room as a kind of time machine because it feels like time is hyperlapsed in there it really does I, I look at the clock at the beginning of the case and then when i look up again it's like hours later but it feels like just a few minutes went by so it's it's really an interesting phenomenon so from my experience sleep deprivation doesn't really seem to be a big issue in the operating room but to formally address the question of whether sleep loss affects surgical outcomes, there was actually a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is one of the most respected journals in the medical community, and it looked at approximately 40,000 patients in Canada who underwent 12 different types of surgery. So the operations 
were kind of on a uh, on a spectrum of complexity. They were as basic as removing a gallbladder, who was complex as doing a, a cardiac bypass surgery. So the the study group composed of 20,000 patients who had surgery performed by a surgeon who operated the night before. So that was between the hours of midnight and 7 a.m. is how they defined it. And this was referred to as the night call group. All of these patients were then matched to 20,000 patients who had the same surgery performed by the same surgeon when the surgeon did not operate the night before. So this was the non-night call group. The researchers found that both sets of patients basically did just as well. You know, when, when they compared the night call group with the non-night call group, there's no significant difference in the rates of death, most importantly. It was only 1% in both groups. Um, there was no significant difference in readmission. Both were around, uh, that's readmission to the hospital. Both uh, were around 7%. There was no difference in complications within 30 days of the surgery. So both were around 18%. And this analysis was controlled for other variables that could have affected these numbers. So basically they accounted for things like the patient's gender, age, socioeconomic status, and any other health conditions that um, might have fucked with the data statistically. So uh, according uh, to this study, contrary to intuitive thinking, Patients did just as well when a surgeon worked the night before surgery as when um, he or she didn't. So for, for patients, this study is definitely reassuring and I actually genuinely believe that the, the results are accurate. So Maya, one less thing to worry about before surgery, but hopefully you'll never have to really worry about that. What up y'all? Still awake? In case y'all were wondering, so that track you just listened to is called Rollin' by this rapper Jackie Chain, which is a rap name I'm surprisingly not mad at for some reason. It's kind of funny. Um, song features Kid Cudi, and I think it's off of Jackie Chain's album called Bruce Lean Chronicles Volume 1. I think you see the theme he's going for here. Um, the song actually samples the classic Robert Miles track called Children. Uh, a little fun musical fact for you. Um, anyway, good song. Uh, that that part of the hook that's like, we ain't slept in weeks is something that I, I can clearly relate to. The rolling on ecstasy part, not so much, but it's all good. You know, I'm, I'm rolling hospital stretchers down the hall, so that's something that's not ecstasy. Uh, so on the topic of sleep hygiene and surgeons, in the last segment we talked about how you shouldn't be worried about your own safety in the context of the sleepy surgeon scenario, both based on actual evidence and my own personal experience. Uh, however, I will say that the surgeon's safety long term um, and even after surgery while sleep deprived is a completely different story. You know, this is a side of the story that we don't talk about that much. You know, there's fairly well known data that's pretty compelling on the fact that drivers when sleep deprived and sleep deprivation here is defined as being awake for over 24 hours so um, drivers that are sleep deprived are more impaired than drivers whose blood alcohol level is above the legal limit like that is startling and we never really talk about that so this might make you worried about your doctor driving home after your surgery from the hospital 
than um, being worried about your your surgeon actually doing the surgery itself because you know driving is typically a more comfortable activity, um, one more conducive to sleeping uh, compared to performing surgery on a human being. So the whole sympathetic response that I was explaining in the last segment doesn't really apply here. Um, you know, I remember in medical school when I was on a plastic surgery rotation, we wound up operating on this gynecology resident who was riding her bike home after a 36-hour shift. She dozed off on her bicycle ride home, and she hit a tree, which caused her to fly off her bike and hit the ground face first so hard that it shattered her jaw. And we had to wire her jaw shut, Kanye through the wire style, and I remember feeling so bad for her. I feel like nobody really talks about the provider safety part of the sleep deprivation equation, but shit is real life, man. Um, you know, long hours have been part of medical training for centuries. In fact, the term resident refers to literally residing at the hospital. And, you know, after you graduate a residency program, uh, you're known as an attending. So they only attend the hospital. So most surgical residents like myself typically work 90 to 100 hours per week sometimes and sometimes we're up to 36 consecutive hours without sleep for really the entire duration of the training program which for orthopedic surgery is five years and the longest i've been up personally is 60 waking hours and i hope to never break that record you know really when people started counting and caring about this was like in in the early 80s there was an 18 year old patient named libby zion who uh, died at a New York hospital due to a medication prescribing error while under the care of residents in the midst of a 36-hour shift. And this ultimately led to regulations in New York hospitals mandating that residents should work no more than 80 hours per week and no more than 24 consecutive hours. Um, although this sounds great on paper, the reality is that this isn't something that really gets policed and the hospitals are too understaffed to really have an incentive to uphold it. So, you know, since those regulations have been in place, you can imagine misreporting is rampant. You know, most programs basically hire someone to essentially log hours for the residents so that they're in compliance with the law. Um, you know, so uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, that's, that's the behind the scenes of it. And a little exclusive for you but on that note I think I'm gonna go uh, drink some espresso and then get ready for bed good night beep boop beep I must say I am quite fond of your station medicine remix darling listeners out there would be wise to tune in only here on anchor beep boop beep Hey, it's Big H from Medicine Remix with this episode of Doctionary, your audio source book for sometimes unusual sounding medical terms and their meanings. This episode we're going to mix things up a little bit and have some fun describing a term whose meaning most people wouldn't know directly, but easily would recognize it with some context and examples. Today's Doctionary word is iatrogenic. 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 Iatrogenic illness is one which inadvertently is caused by medical treatment or medical diagnosis. The word iatrogenic derives from the Greek root iatros, meaning physician, and the English root genic, meaning to produce or to cause. Oh, okay! So iatrogenic's literal meaning is that your treating physician has caused your illness. You done messed up, Aaron! 
History provides multiple examples of iatrogenic illnesses, some of which can be fatal. Let's look at some of those examples. Centuries ago, physicians would employ leeches and other ways to bleed their patients in attempting to rid patients of their infection. Instead, patients got more sick and they died. This death would have been iatrogenic because it was caused by a treating physician. Doctor's bad handwriting can bring about iatrogenic ill effects. Medicine's greatest hits. You were at a hospital where they hadn't made the jump yet from paper charts to digital. And when we were in med school, I there was a couple of floors that still hadn't made the jump, you right. know, in the hospital. Right. So you'd go, and it was mostly the surgical people. You'd go in and, and you'd have to fucking read these these chicken, chicken scratch, scratch, man. Yeah, like literally chicken scratch. You couldn't. And the fucked up part is, man, this is these are people's lives, right? Yeah. And if you can't make out what the last person their recommendations were or what's going down. No. Uh, it was crazy. Like it, shit was like hieroglyphics. Like that's, reading that shit. That's awful, man. It's like that's is this awful. is this somebody's note or an EKG? I yeah. don't know. Like no, it's, it's that's bad. People's lives are at stake, literally. Whether it's from a prescription for the wrong drug, oh or for the wrong dosage, or from allergic reactions arising from certain combinations of drugs. To take another example, antibiotics are powerful and effective treatments, but in recent years, some superbugs have become resistant to antibiotics. The penicillin could not get the illness. For example, an infection from staph bacteria can turn rogue if the antibiotic kills off all other bacteria species the criminal cop killing hip -hop. but leaves alone the antibiotic resistant bacterial species. The resistant bacteria then has zero competition and has free reign to populate itself. Finally, an offshoot exists for the term iatrogenic in the form of the phrase iatrogenic poverty. This means poverty from medical bankruptcies caused by inability to pay one's medical bills. What am I gonna do about my legs, Lady Murphy? It's just not right. That's messed up. With this week's doctrinary entry, I'm Big H, and you're listening to Medicine Remix, only on Anchor. I check the doctrinary next to the definition. They were. You know you was wrong for what you did to me earlier. Look what you did to my face. Justin Bieber, just as his kindred spirit Miley Cyrus, I am Justin Bieber. has made headlines over the past year not only for his music, but also for his extracurricular tabloid-worthy pursuits. I don't really want to talk about that right now. Including everything from DUI arrests. You're driving pretty crazy. I have it all on video, man. And vandalism. Justin Bieber is making headlines again, this time for egging a neighbor's posh LA home and racking up $20,000 in damages. The neighbor reported catching some of the vandalism on video and is ready to bring the pop star to court. Back over here, you little to smoking pot. I also heard he got busted for smoking weed and he's really sorry about it and that people make mistakes and he's never gonna do it again. And attacking a photographer. What you say? You What you say? You It might be easy to roll one's eyes whenever the Biebs makes headlines. Are you serious? Are you really gonna say that to me? Like. Come on. Recently, Bieber made the news for a different reason, his mental and emotional health. More specifically, his attempts to address it. I'm a human being. I'm not, I'm not like, people think it might be a battery they gotta turn on, but no, sometimes that battery gets empty and, and you know, I need rest. Bieber has canceled the remainder of his world concert tour in order to, in his words, heal his mind, heart, and soul. You've had to cancel the tour, man? Is everything okay? Or just had enough of being on the road? Or? I have been on tour for two years. Yeah, that's a long stretch. Sorry for anybody who feels like um, disappointed or betrayed. Have a blessed day. Bieber at first 
received some pushback from commentators, accusing him of quitting and letting down his fans. A healthful life is lived in the middle. Okay. In the, it's a middle oh. path. No. And what I'm saying is that it is a luxury for him to be able to say, ah, I'm just gonna like blow it off. Obviously, you have to be in a good position mentally, but I also think to a certain degree, when you're signing up to something, you should see it through. Oh man, hey, 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 But singer John Mayer was among the notable celebrities who defended Bieber and his reasons for stopping the tour. What it's really about is how everybody in this room should have nothing to say about Justin Bieber. We should have no opinion about Justin Bieber. Mayer said, when someone pulls the remaining dates of a tour, it means they would have done real damage to themselves if they kept going. We've lost so many great artists lately. I give Justin two thumbs up for realizing it was time to call it. Elsewhere, the consensus response has been a warm embrace from fans, including people lauding Bieber for his being open about his struggle and for his being willing to be introspective enough to realize that he needs a break. This has got nothing to do with money. This is about mental health. Mental health has to come first, right? Like Justin Bieber. Why now, do pop stars have mental breakdowns constantly? I'll tell you, because it's it's a lot of work to be them. It and really is. He's been doing it's, this since he was a young kid. And also, he's exhausted. It's eight. Look, I couldn't, I don't do 18 months on the road. Cause it's, it's horrifying, it's horrifying. And you're in a different place every other night. It's a, it's a lot and sometimes it gets the best of you. In a long and emotional letter to fans as well as statements from his inner circle, Bieber has indicated that he's experienced exhaustion which comes with a heavy touring schedule and that he has been working his current tour for 18 months straight. Further, he has had to take stimulants such as Adderall to provide him the artificial boost of energy to keep grinding every day. Singer admitted that he does take Adderall, not because he has ADHD, but it's because he doesn't get enough sleep at night. I'm good. I actually went to bed pretty early last night. Adderall can be addictive, and its high tolerance demands taking higher and higher doses to yield the same amount of stimulation. Without a doubt, Justin Bieber has the resources, time, and presumably the support of people who care about him in order to address his issues head on. Although it may be different for regular working folks to call time out abruptly and stop everything we're doing. It's also important to recognize all the commitments to which we're attached and to be able to cocoon for a while with a reduced schedule. Looking forward to uh, some downtime. Get just resting and getting some relaxation. We're gonna ride some bikes. Nice. Have you ever had to take time out to take better care of yourself? How did you emerge on the other end once you regained your bearings? What advice and words of support would you offer for Justin Bieber? As long as you love me. Just tap on the comments icon and leave your take. With today's medical news, I'm Big H, and you're listening to Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. I've seen this one shit on the news. I got this medical news. news. <laughs> Support for today's Medicine Remix show is brought to you by Believe. Need all-day inner strong? Try Believe, the only anti-negativity and doubt reducer medication. Believe, inner strength to last your whole fucking day. Now, back to believing in the miracles of the human body on Medicine Remixed, only on Anchor. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Deke. Um, I just wanted to come to you with some uh, midday mindfulness. Um, I just actually saw a string of patients in the clinic today, 
that ironically and unplanned all came in for evaluations for uh, sleep disturbance, having trouble sleeping. And sleep is one of those things that it's interesting. Um, you know, according to the CDC, anywhere between 50 million and 70 million adults in the U.S. have sleep or wakefulness disorder. And it's so large that I think the CDC has actually considered it formally a, a public health problem. Um, but the interesting thing to me about sleep is people's perceptions of what sleep is. And this idea that, you know, at night when they go to sleep, that they're supposed to pass out when they hit the pillow, you know, within minutes, it's supposed to be lapsed into a coma, which is bizarre to me that that's how people think of sleep. Because for some reason they feel like, oh, they, uh, that guy's a good sleeper. You know, he, he lays down and he passes out instantly uh, after a day, a day's work. And there's evidence that shows that that's actually not good sleep. That's not restful sleep when, you know, the second you lay down out of just complete exhaustion that you pass out. Um, but that's what folks want. And it becomes this, you know, uh, you know, they want Ambien. They want all these other potentially habit-forming medications that actually will put you to sleep. But ironically, they disrupt sleep architecture. So you'll be unconscious, but you will not be getting restful sleep. So that's one thing. The other thing is just the idea of sleep is a bizarre thing. You know, if you think about what sleep is and you lay down and you, you know, you're dead to the world for six to eight hours a day. You know, if sleep didn't exist and I told you I knew a guy who for, you know, eight hours a day just disappears just disconnects from from the world and just lays there you'd be blown away you'd be like god that's fucking weird right but that's what it is and you know the science behind what sleep is and why we need it isn't exactly entirely clear they're, they're getting closer to figure out what sort of processes take place in in, in the brain but nobody's put a, a a direct finger on it to figure out why we need it but the truth is if you're sleep deprived long enough you can die you literally, your body will shut down. So we know it's an essential process, but what exactly is going on? It's, it's interesting. Um, but which brings me back to the, this notion of what sleep is and how to get better sleep. There was a study published recently that compared the use of Ambien versus the use of sleep hygiene in treating patients with chronic insomnia. And Ambien being you know, one of the sleep medications uh, very often used is a popular medication and sleep hygiene on the other hand most people aren't aware of and what sleep hygiene is it's essentially a regimen for sleep and when you talk about the individual components of sleep hygiene people always say to me oh yeah, yeah, yeah I've tried that shit it doesn't work it doesn't work I, I still can't go to sleep and most times I know they're not being completely honest because for those of for those patients of mine who have actually employed a sleep hygiene regimen they'll come back and they'll be like oh that shit was terrible but it worked like I, it, I i didn't like doing it but it certainly worked it helped me sleep and it's interesting because there's a regimen behind it and most people don't think of sleep as being a regimented part of their day um and sleep hygiene you know just some of the things that uh sleep hygiene protocols include are for example um using your bed for only one of two things for sleep or for sex. Meaning, there's no sitting at the edge of the bed talking on the phone. There's no laying out on your bed flipping through a magazine. There's no sitting in bed talking on the phone or playing on your iPad. None of that. Sleep, sex only. 
The other thing is no screens in the bedroom, meaning no TVs, no phones, no nothing. Um, and, you know, there's actually evidence suggesting that even having your phone on the nightstand next to your bed can affect your sleep because people kind of use that as a bailout. You know, they'll wake up a little bit, they'll reach over, they'll grab their phone. And before you know it, they're on it for 30 minutes. So actually having all that out of the room or completely across the room is critical. And the last thing I'll share is if you're in bed for about 20 to 30 minutes and you just can't sleep, is actually getting up and going to another room and reading something terribly boring. Nothing you like, like a medical journal or something that'll just completely exhaust you and then go to sleep. So check out Sleep Hygiene, look it up online, you'll find some good regimens and let me know if it works for you. All right, y'all, peace. And if you don't know, now you know, you know.